Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to Colorado Hunting Hub. This podcast is designed to talk about everything hunting in Colorado. Whether you're a new hunter, old timer, or something else, Colorado Hunting Hub will have something for you. I'm your host, Clint Whitley, and let's get started. Welcome back to Colorado Hunting Hub, and had to get this episode out there real quick. Got an email just this morning and did some research. I uh, needed to get uh, an, an issue out, but before we get to that, uh, follow me on Instagram, Colorado Hunting Hub. Uh, find me i don't even know how to search Instagram very well but anyway you'll find me and then uh facebook as well but instagram seems to be the way people want to communicate these days so that's there uh there's some things that come i got some sweet contacts in the in the works looks like we're gonna have some giveaways uh that we'll we'll be doing so look out for those hoping a exo mountain gear backpack can't say that for sure quite yet, but, uh, we're gonna, I'm working on that one. Uh, and then as well as some, some other things, uh, and info wise, I'm pretty stoked about some contacts I made with CPW and getting some biolo- biologist, uh, remember episode five with Meredith, she talked about wanting to hear more about how tags are allocated, determined, all those sorts of things. Well, I just might have someone to give us an understanding statewide and then four of the regions uh, throughout the state. So that'd be really interesting uh, for those listeners that hunt in the Southwest, Northwest, whatever. Uh, there'll be a something for you. I, I'm, I'm hoping I got, uh, so there's about seven different things there uh, between tag allocations, uh, shed hunting episode, which I'm hoping is going to go through and, uh, the secondary draw got someone for that as well. So some good stuff there coming your way, getting some good interviews, but this episode, we have a sportsman's issue and this is going to go completely unnoticed in Colorado, uh, because it's around trapping and trapping is a pretty unpopular thing across the state. Uh, I pay attention to some of the things cause I'm a member of the Colorado hunting and trapping, uh, Colorado hunting, trapping and predator calling association. And, uh, they do some heavy lifting with, uh, some of the issues of anti hunters attacking hunters. So they do quite a bit of work there. Dan Gates is, is leading the, the charge and, uh, they get a lot of, get a lot of bad rep. And the, the thing is they don't have a lot of support. 
you hear oftentimes from CPW that people do not show up to commission meetings, listening sessions, hearings, whatever. There's very few people that show up. And I've been to one of the citizens petitions, uh, but I'm almost to blame as well. I'm some of the things that have, have popped up in my area, I haven't been able to get to, or there's not much in my area. Most of those things are over in Denver or in Grand Junction. So guess what? That's probably where most of our hunters are. So please, please, if you're in those areas and you hear about those commission meetings, show up uh, because the hunter voice needs to, needs to be heard. I've written my letters though. That's one thing I can do. So uh, where I'm at. And uh, so here's the issue. there is an attack right now on uh, the trapping world and why I think you as an archery hunter, muzzleloader hunter, rifle hunter, non-resident should be caring about this is because it's not a trapping issue. It is a sportsman's issue. And the thing today is trapping. The thing tomorrow is going to be archery hunting. The thing then and then and then it's just a, it's not the issue that these people are trying to get you to thing that they're not going to try and keep you to try and keep you from doing. It's the, it's everything. Antis, there's many antis that want you to stop everything. They do not want hunting. Uh, it's just that they know they have zero traction with stopping rifle elk seasons, but if they could, they absolutely would. In 1992, it was the spring bear season in Colorado. I bet you in the 80s, people would laugh at that and say, nah, that has zero traction. It ain't going to go anywhere. We're going to have spring bear season. It's fine. But in 1992, lots of popular media came out, tele- uh, commercials, all sorts of things, making bears look cute and cuddly. Uh, and that is now gone. It went to vote. And as soon as that's something that's voted on, it's gone and something that's not reversible. That's not CPW or Division of Wildlife at the time that uh, is the one making those laws and regulations. They have to they have to just follow what the people vote. And our agency in their constitution cannot stand up against some of those ideas. They have to, they can report out some of their science, but they can't necessarily have an opinion on those sorts of things. So, uh, there's, it goes deeper than that, but that's all I can feel comfortable speaking to. So 1992 bear, tra- uh, spring bear season gone 1996, uh, amendment 14 that got banned all trapping with foothold snares, that sort of thing. Uh, before 1996, that probably was thought that that's never going to get traction. Last year, maybe the year before, uh, we had a Bobcat ban petition, uh, citizens petition put out. And that got shut down by the commission. But it was Bobcats that time. Next time it would be mountain lions. And you hear the the folks that are in this battle, they talk about archery hunting being one of the next things that could be attacked uh, down the line. So I've heard that multiple times. So this is a concern. Even if you are not a trapper, if you're an outdoorsman and you care about our wildlife and how they're managed, if you believe in the North American model of conservation, then this is a concern for you. And if you don't know what the North American model of conservation, wildlife conservation is, I'll tell you, I did some research on it. Again, it's called the North American model of wildlife conservation. 
It originated back in the 19th century, eight, which would be 1860s is when it kind of started when there was a nation full of uh, very few laws protecting wildlife, very few uh, concerns for wildlife populations because people are moving west and really they care more about survival. Uh, they cared more about making a buck. Uh, so there was some market hunting and that's understandable. That was a, a part of that day. But passenger pigeon is no longer around because of that uh, buffalo or bison, whichever you want to call it. That herd was uh, pretty hit hard. White-tailed deer, turkeys. And then even look at antelope and where they roam now. Bighorn sheep, they, they are not all over their native range and they never will be again. So there was a understanding of we have a conservation issue. So not until actually 2001 did the North American Model of Wildlife Conservation fully get articulated. Uh, but it's here now. So looking at over that in those couple hundred years of taking that time to develop it, a couple hundred, sorry, under a couple hundred, 150 some. So under that 150 years of slowly getting figured out, we've developed a, a system and a model for our wildlife. So that's not just some old thing. And you hear a lot of uh, political parties talk now about uh, how the Second Amendment's old and outdated or certain things are old and outdated. Uh, this is not outdated. It's pretty recent. And there's been other important conservation laws passed uh, in that time frame of developing this model. One is the Migratory Bird Act, 1918. Uh, that one includes anywhere from the old can't own a feather or have a feather from an eagle. And you really can't even have um, uh, artifacts and things from any migratory bird, but the waterfowl. There is exceptions and things for waterfowl in there. So it allows for some hunting of waterfowl. And then there's the Migratory Bird Hunting Conservation Stamp Act in 1934. So that put out that stamp that brought a lot of money to conservation. Then the Federal Aid Wildlife Restoration Act which is the Pittman-Robertson Act. And that was one of the best things that happened for hunting and one of the reasons probably why we still have hunting the way it is. Uh, that put an excise tax on a bunch of our guns, ammo, hunting equipment, that sort of thing. And that funds now goes, all those funds go to state agencies. So that's really where most of uh, the state agencies get their funding. Is, and each state does things a little differently. Uh, because they also get wildlife um, tags, uh, sale of, of licenses. Uh, and then our state, Colorado, gets money from GOCO, Great Outdoors Colorado, which is a lottery funds. So there's multiple avenues of funding, but the Pittman-Robertson Act is a heavy funder. And then in, so that was 1937. And then in 1950, we had the Federal Aid in Sportfish Restoration Act, and that's called the Dingle Johnson Act which created an excise tax for fishing equipment and sends that money out to the state agencies. So pretty cool thing there. Um, not really anything else like it that sends money to conservation. So that's a pretty neat thing. So hunting, hunting was largely unregulated in those early times. 
And so there was a large framework framework that has since developed and grew into some principles and known now as North American model of wildlife conservation. There's seven features that make up the North American model. The first one is that the wildlife is a public resource. In the United States, wildlife is considered a public resource, independent of land or water where wildlife may live. Government at various levels have a role in managing that resource on behalf of all citizens and to ensure the long-term sustainability of wildlife populations. That's one of the questions on the old uh, hunter safety test. Who owns the wildlife? The people do. And so know that not because just because a deer is on someone's property, they don't own that deer. The second feature of the North American model of wildlife conservation, markets for game are eliminated. That's what led to the demise of the passenger pigeon was uh, market hunting. Uh, but is illegal to buy, sell, meat, game parts of, of non-game, game animals, uh, with the exception of fur bears. Fur bears, and it says, a market in fur bears continues as highly rec- regulated activity, often to manage invasive wildlife. Number three, allocation of wildlife by law. Wildlife is a public resource managed by government. As a result, access to wildlife for hunting is through legal mechanisms such as setting hunting seasons, bag limits, license requirements, etc. Number four, wildlife can only be killed for a legitimate purpose. Wildlife is a shared resource that must not be wasted. There's some wanton waste in there. I think we can all agree with that. Five, wildlife species are considered an international resource. Some species such as migratory birds cross multiple borders, so we have to have agreements uh, across borders. Number six, science is the proper tool for discharge of wildlife policy. That's a big one. Not on a motion. In order to manage wildlife as a shared resource fairly, objectively, and knowledgeably, decisions must be based on sound science, such as annual waterfowl population surveys and work of professional wildlife biologists. And they're the ones that can't say this is wrong. We're not going to do it. (laughs) which is kind of funny. Uh, But it is number six in our model that we've adopted as a country, that science is going to be what we're going to look at in determining waterfowl populations and how we manage them. Number seven, the democracy of hunting. In keeping with democratic principles, government allocates access to wildlife without regard to wealth, prestige, land ownership. And that's probably because of Europe. There's some prestige and only certain people can hunt things there and wildlife are owned by the queen and whatever else. So that's the North American model of wildlife conservation. If you don't know that, go. I Googled it and I pulled it straight off the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And I've looked at that before, but it was a good review for me, again, to see that, understand it, uh, each one of those pieces. But look that up. Uh Actually, I should, I'll throw uh, the link in the show, show notes because that's just too important. But what came across my email today was two citizens' petitions uh, that are written by a bunch of people, but the Humane Society of the United States. This is not the Humane Society of uh, in your town where you adopt a dog. This is the nationwide the one of the 
leading anti-hunting groups out there. Uh, and they are asking to have the commissioners of Colorado Parks and Wildlife ban all trapping, including box traps. Now, I know uh, we said earlier that the uh, trapping was banned in 1996. And a lot of people get confused on what the laws are here for trapping in, in Colorado. Uh, I committed to moving here before I knew what the trapping laws were. Uh, but I acclimated. I sold all my trips uh, traps. I left them in South Dakota. My dad's got a ton of them. Uh, and he's using them. And I bought expensive cage traps. They're huge. They're bulky. I can't carry them near as far. You can't have a backpack of them. They're hard work. Uh, and you're getting an animal to go into a confined space. So talk about trying to trick an animal to go into a confined space. Some are a little easier than others, but uh, some are very hard. And you can spend a whole season trying to, to trap what you're after. So in Colorado, just so to give you an understanding, you need to have a license for one to trap fur bears. Definition of fur bears is your, uh, knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Raccoons, skunks, coyotes, bobcats, mink, muskrat, and so on. And if you catch a bobcat, you have to go get that sealed uh, with a CITES Act seal on it so that that doesn't go across state lines and uh, there's a number to it and it's tracked. So every bobcat in the state not only is accounted for, but they know where that was harvested. I, I caught a bobcat this year and I gave the latitude and longitude of exactly where I caught that. I said how I caught it or because some people would be shooting them. Uh, so I, my method of take where how many days I spent in the field, how many traps I got out, all of those things. So it was a pretty data intensive thing for one bobcat. Uh, and then there is seasons for everything. Coyote are the only ones that have an open, just about an open, it's pretty much an open season. There's no closure to it, but there's a season for skunks and raccoons. Find another state where there is a season on skunks and raccoons, and it will be in the minority. That's not a very common thing because those animals are quite abundant. They are very abundant. So uh, it doesn't mean that they're not tracked and monitored. I believe we would have an understanding if we suddenly had zero raccoons or zero skunks, that might show up. There would be another ecological effect down the road somewhere, uh, and we would we would notice an issue. But they are so abundant that it's not quite an issue right now. And if it came down to it, if we needed to have a wildlife survey as to how many animals I caught and harvested, I would gladly do it. I don't care uh, to, for someone to know I caught 20 raccoons or five muskrats or whatever. If that helped data collection, I would gladly do it. Uh, so there's seasons. 
there is laws as to that we have to use cage traps, box traps. So that is some sort of live trap. And within that, there's bait rules, not being able to put anything in there that would harm the animal. Uh, It mostly something that is edible. Artificial stuff isn't, isn't allowed. So that, that animal has to walk in the animal somewhere out in the woods or along a Creek or wherever has to walk into a cage and step on a little three by five pan, shut that door. Does that make it sound just a little bit more difficult? You're trying to get an animal to step on one particular little area. Uh, and oftentimes there's misses and oftentimes a, a raccoon will roll your cage over and open the door and out he goes, or they play around with the door so much that they open it. I've seen that happen before. Uh, and I've learned how to try and reduce misses. Um, but so th- there's just a quick overview of current laws in Colorado. And if you're interested more, just look up the CPW small game brochure and there's a whole trapping section in there. So it is heavily regulated. So let's take a look at these citizens petitions. There are two of them. The one was to ban uh, trapping in Colorado, all of it, not just bobcats, because a couple years ago when they had the bobcat petition, that was just bobcats. Why would they attack just bobcats? Not mountain lions, which are not trapped. They're hunted with, with dogs here. Uh, or raccoons or skunks. Do they not care about skunks? Um, I, it's just the easy target. Because I, I think if skunk trapping got put on a ballot, people really wouldn't be like, why is this on here? But cute, cuddly cats, uh, that, that probably has a little bit more pull. And that was an, that was low hanging fruit. So that's why that was added on there, uh, and a way for those people to, to attack. But now it's all trapping and people like me are referred to as trophy hunters and commercial trapping. I don't know if any of these people have looked at what fur prices are, but commercial trapping is not a very common thing anymore. Most guys are like me, uh, most guys are not making a living off of this. The people that do make a living off of in the trapping world, most of them make money from making baits uh, to making traps to buying other people's fur and that sort of thing. And that's where they can, yeah, they're making, making a living, but they're probably hurting at this point because of the amount of, or the, the fur prices. It's, it's so low. Uh, that I can't imagine somebody's livelihood being based on that. So commercial trapping is not a very common thing. I've heard that we have under 200 members for the Colorado Trapping and Predator Hunting Association, under 200 in a state with 6 million people. And how many hunters do we have? A lot more than that. Uh, so that's one of those areas where it's it's not old and outdated, just people don't do it as much. And we have, it's a lot of hard work. It's like waterfowl hunting. Waterfowl hunting is a lot of hard work. So is trapping, but even more so you got to be out in the field every single day, every 24 hours checking your traps. Uh, in other States, it's a 20, 48 hour check. Some States a 72 hour check. Uh, so there's a, there's a difference in some of those laws. So back to this, this petition, they're trying to get rid of all trapping. 
They so nicely share the uh, laws, which are accurate, looks seem to be, um, and show a bunch of data of animals trapped. And mind you, you can make any data set uh, say what you want it to say. So um, take that for what it's worth. But the la- one of the last paragraphs on here says, A tiny min- minority of Coloradans trap our wildlife and trophies and profit. Of the 5.5 million Coloradans, fewer than 800 killed bobcats during the 2017 season. Okay, we have a lot more cats than that. Do you know how much public property we have or or places we uh, bobcats exist? is far more than where trappers are going to trap them. And by taking out a few in one area, it will continue to get filled up by other cats. Uh, I don't think we're going to have a decrease in our cat populations. Now, you may disagree. That That's totally fine. Uh, and... And I really shouldn't speak my opinion on that because I'm maybe not sure. Uh, maybe a quota on bobcats would be fine. I don't know. I'm not going to argue for that. But there's not many of us. I can say that. There's not many bobcat trappers. Second petition. Well, hold on before I get to that. I should say a uh, few more from the bobcat trapping ban. Uh, is that in that argument, they say that uh, trapping is not uh, it doesn't fall under the North American model of conservation uh, and doesn't follow that model because of the exception to fur bears in that model. Um, trapping is, they say it's not highly regulated, but it is very highly regulated. And the kinds of wild, and they say that it may lead to wildlife becoming endangered, uh, the kinds of wildlife that are being trapped are, are, are quite abundant. So, um, you just, it's so funny just to hear that you don't hear much about coons and skunks and muskrats, uh, in all of this. So we'll move on to, uh, the next one, which many, many more of you may actually agree with. Uh, but here's the thing I'll quote, 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 uh, Clay Newcomb in saying, guard the gate. I've heard him say that multiple times where if you give someone an inch, they'll take a mile. And this is one of those inches. And this one is a request to ban all wildlife killing contests. I haven't really ever entered one. Um, but they talk about it being just a slaughter fest of wildlife. And one of the big players in this is called a uh, bunch of folks that are working on what's called the coyote project. Um, I don't know if any of you've ever hunted coyotes, but it's not easy necessarily. They do not just stand out there uh, for anyone to walk up within range. It's not an easy thing. So it's not necessarily a, a slaughter fest. Uh, other states can have bounties on these animals. And, and they do, they have bounties on some of them because their populations are so high. So this one's trying to get rid of, uh, all the, not all the, the hunting contests. There was like six in our state, which are probably not that 
that big of an event. It's probably not thousands of people coming to do hunting contests. Uh, it's probably a small number. I could be wrong. Correct. Send me a message if I'm wrong and I'll, and I'll, uh, own up to it. Uh, cause that's just an assumption, but the uh, Colorado Trapping and Predator Hunting Association has urged the commission to, to, to deny both of these petitions. And that's all they can do. They can say their opinion, uh, these organizations and state their opinion and speak up. Uh, there are the Colorado Predator Hunter and Colorado Predator, Colorado Trapping, Predator and Hunting Association, sorry, uh, has stated that there's no th- rare, threatened, or endangered species involved in the small game contests. Uh, and there's no evidence here of uh, small game hunting contests increasing attacks on people and pets. That was something that was state- stated in the in the citizens petition. So a um, couple of interesting things. So I guess the reason why I wanted to bring this up is because uh, trapping goes under the radar all the time. And I enjoy it. I get out and do a fair bit of it. I'm not the biggest trapper, uh, but I enjoy it. And one of the things that really makes me enjoy it is understanding the history behind it. There's a company that just went out of business called NAFA, North American Fur Association, auction. Uh, Lost it right now, sorry. But they've been around since 1670. And just this last year, they went bankrupt. 350 years of being in business. Back in the day, they were the Google of their time. 350 years. That just blows my mind. Name another company that's been around for 350 years. There are some, but 350 years. That just blows my mind. Uh, so they've been around that long, and they're slowly slid, and they slid, slid away. There's other in the, in their place, but uh, they're probably going to be hurting at some point as well. So the history of trapping, I always, when I'm talking to students about things like this, is it's what brought people west, chasing the beaver, trying to find more beaver, uh, because that's what was in demand for hats and clothing and and that sort of thing. Uh, It's what brought people west. My wife almost got a job in Avon, Wyoming. And that entire community there is there because of the beaver and people came West to go trap the beaver. So the history involved there, uh, it's just outstanding to, to hear that it was trappers that came this way and, and, uh, started developing it as well as gold miners and, uh, other people seeking new adventures. But trapping is one of those. The other weird thing is that if these things go through, we'll be the next California. No offense to California. I've only been there once or twice, but uh, what people have done to that state and wildlife is is quite sad. They have lost their trapping. And because they banned bobcat and mountain lion trapping, the uh, the animals are still getting killed. <laughs> the mountain lions that cause problems and are and around and sick and skinny because there's no one hunting hunting them uh they still get killed now the agency has to pay for them instead of a hunter or trapper whoever buying a license and going and getting them 
now the state has to fork money up to pay for the uh, the damage they can they cause and those animals are still getting killed so it doesn't matter uh, what some of these people do these animals are still going to be killed at some point uh, and so that's that's not really a, you're not saving necessarily many animals uh, it's back to the North American model of wildlife conservation it's a public resource and that's a public resource that's open for me to go and get same as uh, paying for a little permit to go on and getting some firewood off of a piece of land do I respect that animal a little bit more than a piece of wood uh, sure uh, but I, I do similar ethical things when I'm cutting wood down firewood so um, other things that uh, this makes me think of is that we we have to uh, we have to kind of pay attention to this. The like I said earlier, the hunters don't show up necessarily, uh, but the antis do because this is something they've put a lot of work in. There's a whole lot of PhDs from all over the world on the back of this thing, even from Spain and Sweden, on the back of one of these petitions, uh, and only like two or three of them are from Colorado. So you have people from around the world telling you as a Coloradan how you should be uh, enjoying the wildlife. So I don't like that. Send your letters and emails to the CPW commissioners. That's something you should do. It's pretty easy. Uh, And I just got done in a public lands class that I took. And I figured out how to write letters to commissioners and, and senators. They're really short. It's like four sentences max. You don't want to tell them much because they're not going to read it. So a really short, uh, introduce yourself, why an issue is an important of importance to you, and continue to tell them, vote no on this, vote yes on this, turn this down, whatever, nice and short. Uh, and I think what they do is they just take that as a tally. Oh, we had someone call. Oh, they had someone call. And so that they can make those mental notes that, yeah, I've had a lot of calls, people against this. So when they come to vote on things, that they think about that. Uh, and I see a little hypocrisy in in this world. Uh, I thought the people that use the word woke and woke community and letting people do what they want, sleep with who they want, smoke anything you want, uh, they're the same community that's telling us we cannot be trapping. So I see a little bit of hypocrisy there in stepping into our lives and telling us how we need to be managing uh, our wildlife that is a public resource for us to use uh, because they are my, my wildlife. They're yours and everyone else's. It says right there, public resource. So I see that as a bit of a hypocrisy. It's just the thing right now that they don't like. And one of the, the last comments I'll make is that hunting cultures are different across the country. I've made that comment in the previous podcast. And you're going to see places where in the U.S. it's still legal to trap bears with foot snares and things like that. It's a part of that culture to run, to run dogs with in deer hunting. That's part of that culture, uh, to coon hunt at night with lights and do some different things. That's, that's part of that culture. And it's still legal there. Uh, there's still parts of the world that are whaling and killing whales. It's part of their culture and have been doing it for a long, long time. 
so it's very, very difficult for me to understand people that come into a new area and want to bring uh, ideas from elsewhere that go against the grain that, that just, it's not, it's not a part of that culture. So you, you struggle to understand it. And I guess maybe we've been doing that uh, as a country forever, <laughs> but um, maybe, maybe a little assimilation is an, is an okay thing. So uh, I really hope I didn't lose any listeners with sharing some of this. Uh, but remember, this is a sportsman's issue. This is not necessarily a trapping issue and just the trapper should be taking care of it. It's this today. It's it was bears another day. Uh, it will be bears again, I bet. And it's, it's going to be mountain lions for sure would be the next step. I bet you. Uh, so if you hunt mountain lions or run dogs, uh, yeah, you're next or archery hunting because some folks don't think that that's the most ethical, humane way of, of taking an animal. So that would hurt. Uh, think about that. And if you got other opinions on this, share them with me and, and I'll do a follow-up, follow-up uh, podcast with what some of your ideas are. Those are just mine. And I wanted to get that out to you right away. Uh, because that just came across my desk. And if you uh, have have other things you, you can take from that, share them, and uh, I'd love to hear them. So that's just my quick hour or two of research and figuring out kind of where I stand on some of these things. So anyway, got some really good things coming up for uh, hunting big game in Colorado. So stay tuned and thanks for listening.